0: what is up everybody welcome to episode 86 of the mtg untap podcast i am your host i am the micah and this is a two-man show today uh but joining me is not my friend and yours costa it is our resident rapper he is chrissy d how are you today my friend doing great although <laughs> it's kind of weird you imply by saying
1: not costa not your friend it's like
0: oh i'm not your friend that hurts Uh I, I put it on to the end. I mean, I kind of got that as I was saying it, but just because it's basically got become his intro. Is like, He's my friend. He's also yours. He is Costa. Because you know, oh, yeah, like I'm everybody's friend. You. It's all good. Oh, that's my older brother's name. He listens to the podcast. What's up, Josh? How are you doing? Part of me really wants to do a show where we like just bring in someone who's like a complete novice to magic and just pretend like they're like the best magic player ever and just be like, oh, how do you do it? Like Just, just have them see how good they are at winging it. I don't know yeah I feel like that'd be entertaining I mean it's kind of weird because then if someone
1: doesn't have any history with that person right they don't know that that person's a, a good player or not it makes more sense if like like when LRR does that a little bit uh yeah because they have Beige who does their productions and so sometimes they'll have him come on but you know in this podcast it's like who who, who are we making it for I don't know it's a, it's a weird concept it's interesting but you know
0: We'll see basically for me, just cause I would find it entertaining and I'd have to keep myself from laughing the entire time you record. Um, but yeah, so uh, no coast of this week, homies at work. So it's going to be Chrissy D and I going over this Dominaria stuff, but let's kick things off with the phase. And we're talking about something that's not magic related, um, but still kind of nerdy. Um, I just wanted to say, I have watched the first two episodes of rings of power and so far okay um she hulk is okay house of the dragon really good what do you want to talk about chris did you
1: i heard that there was like a birthing scene that was like really graphic in house of dragon oh yeah
0: episode one yeah because it's
1: like i i love the theme and and stuff of you know old fantasy, but mm-hmm. I tried watching some of the original Game of Thrones with my wife and she was just like way off of it. It was way too gratuitous. And so it's like,
0: I don't know. If, if that's, that's like a, their starting episode, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think I could pull her into it. Yeah, uh, I guess slight spoilers for House of the Dragon episode one. It's like the baby's in breach. So basically it's like medieval C-section. Yeah, it sounds pretty gross. Yep. They don't, it's, not, it's not... You don't see... It but like the implications of it happening and you see like her reaction to it happening and all of this other it, it's it's very uncomfortable. I'll just say that. Fair enough. Uh you want to talk about the She Hulk controversy? You know, talk about that from last week? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this wasn't for me. Uh the whole twerking thing, her and Megan D. Stallion on people's screens. Um With rear ends moving around. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, to me, I'm like, it's not that I had like a whatever reaction. I'm just like, I don't get it. But then I'm like, I text my friend. I'm like, hey, your girlfriend probably would get a kick out of this. So
1: for me, I think it's that like, I, I am so over after credit scenes. (laughs) I think. Does every TV show and every movie in Marvel need one? Like movies are fine, but to have an after credit scene on like every episode of a season seems so unnecessarily out of line.
0: Uh, yeah. Like, it's like the way they've been doing it now is like in the like mid credits, like there's like all the flashy credits, all the big actors in the movie. And then there's a very story relevant mid credit scene now, like in their new formula. And then after all the credits, they're just like a fun little fan thing that to amuse the fans like Avengers. It was like Thanos at the end of the mid credits and then them eating shawarma at the end of the post credit scene. And like that one is like, okay, that would have been like one they could have thrown on at the end of like all the credits when like maybe like 10% of the audience actually stuck around. Um, But I I would It's like take it or leave it. I'd leave it. Uh, and I really, I kind of agree with your sentiments. Like now they're just doing it just cause like, Oh, people like this. And it's like, yeah, but you're forgetting the reason why we liked it.
1: Yeah. Uh, there was one other show I wanted to talk about. Uh, I was watching, and I saw like a, I have that subscription to, um, Oh, what's it called? Apple TV. And it let me watch mm-hmm. the first episode or two of this show called Pantheon, which is an AMC show. It's a, this the first AMC like animated show. And It's kind of like Ghost in the Shell. So the concept is is that uh, it follows three different characters, two people from high school. Uh, One's like a nerdy uh, genius, and then one is just like her father recently passed away from cancer, and then it follows uh, a company, and the company is essentially finding a way to download people's consciousness into an AI simulator. And so later episodes, because I was reading about it because it seemed really interesting to me, follows those ai characters adjusting to you know what they were and what they can do and then um i don't know it was like very very heady sci-fi i liked it a lot i thought and i thought the animation style was was crisp and cool so i think that's kind of neat to check out but again it's behind an amc pipe pay- paywall so
0: what kind of uh animations is it like traditional japanese anime is it kind of like kind of like there's been like 3d cg kind of stuff being added in with like kind of like a 2d element I don't particularly remember any sort of
1: like 3D style, but I mean, yeah, it, it does remind me I watched a little movie? bit of ghost in the shell. It reminded me of that. I mean, sort of like realistic, you know,
0: looking people and stuff. I am looking up screen pictures of it and it looks oh, okay. Yeah. It's like the DC animated stuff. Aesthetics. It looks like cool. I might check it out. Yeah. All right, that will do it for this week's phase-in. And due to the nature of what we're talking about this week, we decided to move the underplayed EDH card of the week to this slot because basically the untap is going to bleed into the main topic and it'll probably become just one giant, big, grand old segment. So uh, this week's underplayed EDH card will be given by yours truly. I am the Micah. And the one I'm going to give, because Costa made a good point when he added a tab to our spreadsheet, we seem to be picking mostly green cards, and it's funny because it's like, well, it's like, there's so many good green cards. Some of them have to get miss the cut. Um, but I'm going to go with a colorless card. And Chris, can you tell me the most played card in EDH? Solaring, I assume. That is correct. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's correct. It makes sense to uh, my uh, smooth brain. Um, and do you know there's another card that basically has the same effect box? As soul ring, and that it basically does the same thing, has the same effect. But at three mana or something. Yes, and also enters tapped. Yeah. Um, that card yeah. is Worn Power Stone. Yeah. <laughs> um, people see three mana and tapped, and they're like pass. But I think people are just sleeping because it's only at three percent on EDH rec, which seems awful low to me. And here's my reasoning: it's like Going from like three to six mana, possibly even more if you actually played a, a two mana mana rock on turn two, and just like having either six or seven mana. Heck, if you go in soul ring into this, that's pretty bananas. But it's like it ramps you two mana on a single turn. That's very powerful effect, even if you do it later than you can do it with soul ring. Not being able to tap it immediately is if you tap basically you're tapping all your colored mana uh on the early turns in order to play it. Is makes uh, it uh, unless the effect on it, because then it's like, or you can play another mind stone or some other two mana mana rock, which you might you may or may not have. Uh, not being able to get the immediate kind of ramp ritual almost effect in later in the game can be a downside, but then also if you're playing commander, you just probably have a boatload of mana late game anyway. And I to me, I think worn power stone, if you're a monocolor deck, except maybe green. Or I, I, I shouldn't say that. If you're not playing green, even though there isn't a whole lot of three-mana green things that ramp you two lands, but either, Or I digress. Green has a saturation of all the ramp effects. That's what the color does. But for, like, white, blue, black, and uh, red, I feel like this should be, like, your third... Heck, it should be your second mana rock after Sol Ring, I think. It's like, people, like, say Signet, but it's, like, it's because like it's color um, fixing, but you're not really really uh, needing that in monocolor EDH decks. Um, I kind of get like Signets and Arcane Signet whenever playing like two-color because you are going to start needing more fixing. Obviously, the more colors you are playing, the more the colorless mana this mana rock produces can negatively affect your game plan. But I just still think that at 3%, it's very underplayed for an effect that is actually pretty strong, even at three mana and enters tapped
1: yeah I think it's interesting because it's I think it really determined is determined by how intensive your mana is. I goldfished you know some three color decks and I would much prefer any mana rock that generates color as opposed to double colorless because your mana can be so intensive, uh having double pips of each color or just being able to cast your spells on curve you know as as spells get more powerful. but if your deck is only one or two
0: colors, then absolutely yeah, it's really powerful. All I want to do is like, because this allows you to go from like turn three, play a man rock, and then turn uh, four, you have enough mana to cast Tolly and possibly an extra mana to somehow give him haste. Let's go! Tolly's the best boy in the world. Do you want to hear the uh, funny power stone story
1: that I was that I heard the other day was a con- in a conversation? I want nothing more. So you know how Karn makes power stones that can only tap to make mana that you can spend on non wait you you can't use the mana on non-artifact spells which means you, you can, can use only use it for,
0: for artifacts well
1: you can actually we had this and this is a great point uh because when we were talking about it uh with costa the other week you can use it to use um mana for abilities and activated abilities and stuff so you can use it to, for like oh. you the power stones you make with karn you can use for his minus one to like add mana and you can also use them for paying any other sort of colorless costs um, or casting, not casting spells from exile, but um, activating like graveyard.
0: graveyard effects. Like, uh, right. is it escape cast? Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But if there are effects that like pull this out of your graveyard Unearthed. for something, you know, and it's not specifically mm-hmm. casting it, that's another way you could use it. But anyways, that that's neither here nor there. So Karn makes Power Stones, but then Worn Power Stone is just three mana, add two colorless. and This is why I brought it up. There's also Power Stone Shard from Original Mm -hmm. Dominaria. Do you remember that one?
0: Yep, it adds a colorless mana for each uh, Power Stone Shard that you have.
1: Right, so the idea is that, (laughs) in story terms, you should always be breaking all of your Power Stones. Just throw them in the dirt and (laughs) scruff them up, because they get way better when they're older.
0: That's very true. They age like wine.
1: Unless it um, ages too long.
0: Oh, there's a. What's the one that allows you to roll the planer die? Fracture, is that fracture power stuff? Hey, rolling that planer die—that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I run that card in uh, my Atali deck because it's like all ramp and then Atali and haste enablers. Um, one more question before we move on. Sorry. Of uh, is it cheating
1: if I look at another site for underplayed EDH cards? Because I was just like looking. I was like, I want to make sure the ones that we're, that we're putting on are you know, relatively inexpensive because one of the ones that I had picked out was like $20 and I was like, I don't want to put a $20 card on there, but it, it the list reminded me of cards that I actually had when I was a kid and that I wanted to put on there. Is that fine? Even though I got it from a list, it's like something that I would have put on there if I had thought of it myself.
0: You do you, boo-boo. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, all right. That'll do it for our underplayed each card of the week. Warren Power Stone. Put it in your monocolor decks, some of your two-color decks, and then three and more as you deem you are capable. Um, All right, let's move on to the Untap set. We are talking about Magic that we played over the past week. And Chris, you and I last week participated in the pre-release event held by Juniors Comics and Cards located in South Austin on Slaughter and Manchac near the AGB. Um, We both participated. We both got Dominar United sealed kits, built a deck, and played three rounds of magic. Uh, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Go ahead, friend. Alrighty. So I went in basically with a very mica mindset. I was like, let's just go five color good stuff. And I was only enabled by such when I opened ten dual lands. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. Um, I guess I was technically five color however my black was basically uh the kicker for a bunch of cards so i was like four color mostly teamer although i did have a double white card which is pretty funny and so i was just like let's just play all the it's sealed let's just play all the best cards in our pool and see where we get and so uh i started things off with my pre-release promo archangel of wrath that two white, white angel three four with flying and lifelong, then has kicker for black and or red. And then, if it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, it deals two damage to any target. And if it was kicked twice, it deals two damage to any other target or any target. So, it's like for five mana, it's a three four that deals shock something when it needs it has lifelink, so you get that life back. And for six mana, you deal four damage or a um, three for one, someone once during the pre event. That was actually uh, really satisfying. But, yeah, so I just was building my deck. I was trying to force a Mythic uh, that I opened and also opened the Soul of Windgrace. What was that myth? Oh, yeah, Soul Canar the Tainted. And I also opened Soul of Windgrace. I was trying to force them into the deck. It just wasn't happening. So I was like, okay, let's just try and actually do build a good deck. And I'm actually entirely convinced that going uh, – kind of 5-color. If I was playing this deck on the arena thing, I'm pretty sure it would have, have a black pip on it, so I'm just going to call it a 5-color I'm pretty sure that was the correct call based on the amount of fixing I had. And it's basically the widespread of all my better cards. Um, and so, over the night, I went 6-0. 2-0 in all my matchups. Uh, only one of them went to, like, it was kind of like, oh, my puny just got mana screwed. Uh, they were all... Uh, Longer drawn out games where my deck was eventually able to get there, and so the obviously Archangel of Wrath was really good. Balmore Battlemage Captain actually just came in super clutch, where I was able to bounce a creature, pump my team, cast another removal spell, another creature, pump my team, and then I was able to deal like um, between. Uh Balmore, and then another card that actually has actually gone way up in my book since we did our preview um last week was Gitu Amplifier. I was able to attack with my Gitu Amplifier and then cast a couple spells and then cast Twin Furno to give it double strike and then a turn and 18 someone. That was pretty awesome. That sounds sweet. Uh, yeah, uh Gitu Amplifier is going. At first I was like, oh, two toughness, that seems kind of bad, but then I'm like some people just don't block it. And also like a five mana mana war. Okay. Okay. Um, Telerian Geyser felt extremely good. Uh, Threat of activation on sunbathing root Walla feels really good. I didn't get to cleaving Skyrider anybody. That made me feel a little bit sad. Um, but yeah, cards that like we knew about Vine Shaper Prodigy. That card is just really good. Um, Fires of Victory. You gush about that card. It's really good. People are really afraid of electrostatic infantry. I never really got it bigger than a 3-4, but you just put that thing on the board and people just want to kill it. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's got a
1: really high ceiling, but mm-hmm. most of the time that I've seen it in play, both in draft and sealed, yeah, it usually just like it gets one counter and then gets bounced or dies or something.
0: But yeah, so I had a bunch of... I just ran all the best cards I opened, pretty much. And I had a slight instant sorcery theme going on. I kind of skewed sort of my counts towards that in my deck building. But it was actually, as far as like sealed goes, because when I first got into magic, sealed was like kind of like, I was like, oh, I really want to try doing that. Like, I remember one time at a family event, I bought a box of Almond ket and I just took it and my brother and I split it. Like, uh, we made like six basic uh, six pack things and just did... Uh, bunch of sealeds that weekend doing it that way because it's kind of super into sealed. But then as I started coming out, uh, starting with um, I think my first pre-release actually Theros beyond death, um, which is actually ironic because then the, you know, the world paused. But uh, lately it's like I've kind of gotten less into sealed. It's just like, all right, this is just less powerful draft. And sometimes it's like you just get hosed by your kit. Uh, or or your uh, pool. But this was actually really fun. I I saw a lot of different decks, a lot of, like, actual viable strategies the way some cards cross between the different archetypes. And uh, I just thought it was a really fun sealed environment, especially at pre-release.
1: Yeah, I feel like Seals have gotten better with the power level of all the cards increasing. It just makes Seals, like, more interesting. Uh, You know, if we're talking about, like unplayable pools it's been a really long time since i've had one but i did have um back in rise of the eldrazi Uh, you know how far along how far back that was
0: was that like 2015 i'll google it real fast keep going
1: yeah so i had a pool back then that had uh four copies of a four mana spell 2010 okay so i 2010 so 12 years ago i had four copies of a spell that cost four mana and gained life equal to the highest cmc in your hand and six copies of razor verge which was a one mana deal three damage to a flyer so it's just like i had actual an unplayable green section and that ate up so much of my pool that i just like had no playables so it's been a long time since i've had really bad sealed kids like that um but for this sealed it was it was interesting i'm i'm a really slow builder so it takes me a while to figure out what I'm going to do, but this sealed pool kind of built itself. Um, all my fixing was in Teemer. My white cards were fine, but had no bombs. My black cards were fine, but had no bombs. Had like one or two good removal spells. So everything kind of pointed me into Teamer. I had the 5-mana, uh, five 5-5 five, five flyer with Ward 2 that uh, whenever it hits them at factor fictions equal to your domain. Um, never got to cast it. Never saw it. I had the a uh, red praetor, um, but with no red permanence. Essentially, I was playing like one or two red creatures, and then, um, but I just put the best cards I could in teamer. A lot of green, um, four sixes for four, and the uh, seven sevens that gain five life. And I had a bunch of like single target removal spells, and I had a Vesovan Diplomacy, which is the enchantment that says when you cast a spell that targets only one creature. On your side of the field, you can make a copy of the creature. And that's essentially what my pool was. It was three of the um red plus two minus two flowstone cards that I used as early removal. And then late game, after I've played a seven, seven and gained five, I would target my own creature with it and then copy it or, tar- you know, copy the the four mana, four, four first striker, the, the red Phyrexian card. And then I would, you know, so then it would be a six... 6-2 for a striker which would usually eat something and then it would make another 4-4 for a striker which would eat something and usually i would win off with the back of that you know making one or two tokens i only had um i had my third game was against a new player i went to one uh, my second game was against someone who had double liliana so i just never could do anything because they were all removal spells on liliana which uh beats up on you know casting late game cards and trying to uh you can't ever really attack it if you're trying to cast seven sevens or whatever. And my first round against Daniel, which was really interesting, but also kind of awkward because I had um, misread the vest of diplomacy I thought that it would work with fight or bite spells. And I don't think that ended up mattering in the game, but there was one turn where essentially I cast a bite. He responded with a tail whip. I responded with minus one power to his creature. And at that point, the, his creature would trade with mine. It would fizzle um, fizzle the fight that I made against his 2-2 when I was at 2 health, and I made a token. And so in that game, by being able to trade that token with his 2-2 let me win, whereas because the bite spell doesn't actually work that way, I would have lost but the bite spell is instant speed. So I could have passed turn. It's really interesting because how it could have worked out. I think I owe Daniel a pack essentially is what I'm saying. I'm going to give him a (laughs) pack next time I see him (laughs) at the store. But um, there was a, you know, I could have gone past turn and he would have gone fight spell. And then I would have gone respond with bite spell, respond with copy my creature, in which case I would have had a copy by targeting it, my own creature with the minus one power spell and then fighting the two, two chump blocking. And then from there, he would have had a four four, but my next turn I top deck a seven seven. So it's it's really hard to tell how the game would have played out. But it was a it was very interesting.
0: Awesome. Um, and this is going to bleed into our main topic, which is basically just our initial impressions of Dominaria. I've done seven drafts. I've done eight drafts. Where did I put my notebook? Oh, I put it down over here. Um, I've done seven drafts, uh, but I I've done eight. But I've completed seven. I drafted my eighth deck before I left for work this morning, recording on September the eighth. Um, but I haven't played out yet, and I'm actually super excited to play that deck because I finally get to try the Defender deck. But um, Chris, how many drafts have you done so far in this format? I've done the same. I've done. Um, I did three the night before the pre-release, three the three the
1: day of the pre-release, which contributed me to being kind of dead at the pre-release and not as. Um, you know, not as excited as everyone else, but uh, I still it also helped me kind of mellow out and be kind of like not too angry mode <laughs> if things went wrong. Um, and then I did one probably earlier this week. Um, it, it's definitely an interesting format. Let's let's talk about that defender deck.
0: All right. We'll work our way or way backwards. Um, once we go through, I'll give my uh, records so far. I actually have a I tried downloading 17 Lance, but I couldn't figure it out because I'm kind of a dum-dum. So I have a a little handy uh, pocket notebook that I write. Oh, what set did I start this with? Uh, I think it was Kamigawa. Yeah, I started with Kamigawa, and I've been writing down all my draft uh, colors and uh, records. But let me bring up this deck that I drafted. So I had a pack. I can't remember what the rare was, but there was a Wing Mantle Chaplain, and I said, YOLO swag money, let's go for it. So I first picked a wing mantle chaplain, the four mana one three that makes birds based on the number of creatures of defender you have. I second picked a clockwork drawbridge. I'm like, oh, now we're cooking. And then I didn't see like any defenders. Oh, I I picked up a shield wall sentinel, that four mana one three colorless creature that basically tutors for a defender. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Help me find my other cha- my chaplain if I don't get another one because uh, you can't really count on seeing another uncommon, a specific uncommon in the draft, but sometimes you just get lucky. But then pack two is very uh, rewarding. I got a, a blight pile, I got another clockwork drawbridge, uh, I picked up stuff like splatter goblins, Phyrexian vivisector, which is a card I actually kind of like, but I don't know if it's quite good for this deck. Uh, bone Splinter seems like it might be good enough. I'm making bird tokens. But then, pack three is where this pe- uh, deck kind of popped off. I got a second Blight Pile, two more Wing Mantle Chaplains, and a Walking Bulwark, and two more Clockwork Drawbridges.
1: Are you playing any of the uh, Black Recursive creatures or spells, like the
0: Arborg Uprising or anything? I have Shieldred's Restoration, and that's it. Oh, no, I have a Braid's frightful return. That was my that was actually my second pick. The third pick was a uh, Clockwork Drawbridge. Well, that um, sounds like it would be pretty good then. Yeah, I got a couple stall for times. Uh, I picked up a couple of contaminated aquifers. I thought about uh just going like three color playing the um I just the Talarian bounce spell. But then I was like, no, that might be a bit too greedy, especially when I got the second stall for time. It's like, yeah, we'll just run that. And also, like, Tribute to Urborg. So uh, I can take advantage of the blue mana if I drop it. I'm not dead if I don't have it, you know? So I'm kind of excited to play off the deck. Add some neat little stuff. I have a lot of ways of winning with Defender creatures. I think total there are 10 or 11 in the deck. and uh, But I also have stuff like Tainted Apparition. So like just like winning games with flying is just the thing you can do, you know? Yeah, so the reason I wanted to bring up
1: the Defender deck is because I also it was before let's say let's say pre pre knowledge of the Wingmate Chaplain, whereas like I also had three of them and I was playing a blue white flyers deck. And essentially every game I won by just playing chaplains back to back or um you know, tutoring for the chaplain and making, you know, like sixteen one one flyers, and then my opponent was just dead over two turns. I actually had a game where um uh i milled them with the the blue wall the one that was like the doorkeeper i can't remember what it's mm-hmm. called, coral something yeah yeah but um i think the the knowledge is out um, sam black has been talking a lot about the wall deck he's been drafting a lot of the wall deck and if you look on 17 lands in terms of stats uh wingmate chaplain itself is the like third highest win rate card it's like right behind that angel that you played the four mana one the three four and like shielded itself it's because you can tutor it up and because there's the both erborg uprising and the um eerie th- that creature that you liked in black the three one that mills three and then you can return a creature from your graveyard
0: oh yes yeah, that card
1: yeah so there's just lots of ways to constantly replay the chaplain and it'll just crush your opponents under the number of one ones you can make um so people have been diving into it because everyone wants to do defenders but it it is gonna make it kind of awkward you know it's it's a deck that i think is good and i think um can support one person at a table but if you go you know to your local lgs and everyone sees a wingmate chaplain in their pack and takes it it's gonna it's gonna make a really horrible draft environment but it also makes it a terrible in a draft environment if only one person is taking them you know because it's I'm not gonna lie. Sam Black said he he thought he thought it was worse than um, the Aquaria build around the, the Zenith Flare. He thought it was worse than that in terms uh, of like how oppressive it is.
0: What about when everyone was drafting um, Merfolk Secret Keepers and Eldrain? I think it's probably not as bad as that because that was a
1: common and but, yep. it, but it's it's a stronger card, but won't won't occur as often. And also part of that was how Arena was. Um, you know, the, the arena yeah, bots that. didn't understand how to how to take those.
0: And plus just like a lot of the like defender cards, just like the one mana tapper, you talked about that one during our pre uh primer episode last week. That's just a kind of solid card. Also, one mana O threes just block pretty well early in the game. Uh Blight Pile is actually a really valid uh, alternate win con. It's just like slow, represents inevitability if you build enough. And also the stupid one mana thing that allows you to pay mana to attack with your defenders. Yeah, I had someone
1: get me with that in the 05 Academy Walls.
0: Mm-hmm. Those are actually really strong. I think if you have the Academy Walls, you really need to have that one power, the one mana thing, the walking bulwark, because the mill thing, i never seen anyone actually get there with that and actually mill someone out. I did have a game where my opponent decked themselves, but that's just because they over. They just kept drawing and drawing. They had like three Talus Lookouts. I kept treading with it. Um that card's I think you and I are right about that card that card is like super sick yeah um but yeah there's a there's they made some strong defenders in this set
1: I did uh, um you know they had a free sealed event um where you could play like you could open six packs and just build and play for free on arena. I did that and um my deck was like pretty strong blue black control and i got I frequently got down to like four to six cards left in library when I was killing people. So it's doable but I don't think it's
0: as common as it was in some of the other sets. There's quite a they staple draw card in quite a few of the instants and in sorceries. There's a lot of effects that like like in black that like scry and mill yourself recursive so like you talked about the eerie 3 drop that you can pay 5 mana to re-raise uh, dead a creature. Um, yeah, it just like seems like it's really easy to just like go through your deck in this format. But it's also not particularly fast. It's like basically whoever has the most mid to late game value that I've seen. Uh, Speaking of mid to late game value, I just want to talk about the favorite deck that I drafted. And it was one where I first picked that Sphinx you were talking about, Sphinx of the Clear Skies. I was like, let's just do Domain shenanigans. And I went all in on Domain. Uh, I basically drafted straight up five color. I was base... uh, teamer it looks like. I'm looking... No, I had the Sphinx and one other blue card. I lied. And the other blue card is Pixie Illusionist. Which actually... You not know, for fixing and domain stuff, that's actually a pretty good card. And plus, it can be a 3-3 flyer later in the game. Um, I had three Floriferous Vine Walls in the deck. And I ended up drafting... Let's count them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 dual lands. Uh, two of those are actually pain lands. Uh, but I got... All the domain stuff. The freaking unca- uncommon uh Selesnia cat. I'm looking at my deck and then the picture I took is too blurry. Czar, Oger, Mar Cyan of OG, Arphara. I believe. Yep. Uh the five mana four for that taps and gives all creatures with toughness less than your domain a plus one plus one counter. That card is pretty good. Uh every time it's cast against me, it's felt very good. And every time I cast it, it felt very good. I had the Bortuk Bone Rattler. Uh, the 6 mana 4-4 that can uh, either uh, straight up reanimate a creature to your side of the battlefield or if it has uh, CMC less than your domain or if not it just puts into your hand that thing was always straight up bringing back uh, one of my favorite cards in the set is Outrider, that card feels really good even if you just have like 3 domain it still feels very good Um, and uh, oh, I had a Sheevan Devastator in that deck and a King Darien oh this deck was so cool
1: Fun fact about King Darian. Do you know why it's King Darian the 48th?
0: Why? Tell me.
1: So it was previewed by Cassius Marsh. And... Uh, huh. hmm?
0: No, I was, I, was, I was just laughing.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's King Cassius. And then also it's a reference to the 48th Super Bowl where the Seattle Se- Sunho- uh, Seahawks
0: won. Gotcha. That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, they, they put in a couple little things like that every now and then um yeah so again a lot of my draft knowledge or my draft decks aren't going to be super useful to go over and i actually don't have a, a straight log of them i just try and remember them because they're all from the you know the first day and i was drafting it sort of like i draft kamigawa where i was a little over my head i wasn't sure where i wanted to be and so my decks were a little scattershot you know i had one deck where i um first picked a Jota and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm also doing the five color domain. That deck went four three because I just didn't have enough early drops. My fixing was a little awkward. Um, I, I do like how all the legends kind of work together. I ended up with a couple different rare legends and a couple different uncommon ones. You know, the white black uncommon, when your creatures enter play, you gain life and the, um, white black rare where you're, when your legends die, you get a two, two zombies. So like I had a ton of powerful late game, but, um, by not putting things on board, you can just die to like the three mana three one haste creatures and get tempoed out. I actually lost a game to Karn, which I thought was better than much better than you know people are giving it credit for. The fact that you I can... need you to elaborate. <laughs> what do you mean elaborate on how Karn was good? How I, I just want to know how he killed you with it. Oh, because you can just um, basically I played a five five, then they they plussed it and played a five five, and I attacked and they blocked. Then I played another five five, and then they. Plused it, played another 5-5, and I attacked and they blocked. And then they plused it again and played another 5-5. And I couldn't get through it because I played a 4-4 to rebuy my 5-5. And then they just ultimated and I died to the ultimate. Because the ultimate just says all your power stuns tapped deal 1 damage to any any target. And so then they played one other artifact, like a shield wall. And they could just do 4 damage to every creature I played. And once all my creatures are gone and I couldn't play anything, they just killed me with it. So the fact that they can just like... It's an ultimate that just wins the game, you know, assuming you have no artifact removal, which you shouldn't be playing main deck anyways. Like, three power stones that deal, you essentially get a lightning bolt every turn. It's just just really strong.
0: So you're saying uh, prison's a viable strategy. Cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have enough blockers, like, if you know what you want to do, right, like, all you have to do is survive for three turns, and then you can probably kill everything. It's also the fact that, again, the minus one draws you a card no matter what. Like you don't have to spend a ton of mana. You can tap the power stone and just draw a card. So you can draw a card every other turn with Karn while alternating between power stones and stuff. And then it, then it gets better because then it goes like look at the top two, then look at the top three, and it doesn't actually eat any of your mana. So it's it is a lot better in limited. I don't think you'll see any constructive play, but it it is a legitimate card in limited.
0: Good to know. Uh, just to briefly go through like the rest. Of it. So the first draft I did was uh, white red. And it was like some kind of like combination of like the enlist and domain. And it's like, oh, this is why Chris and Costa said this two mana, two one. Oh, I should look up the name of the damn card. Um, the one that scries and gains you a life whenever it becomes tapped. Enlisting that thing feels just really good.
1: Yeah, it's solid.
0: I need to bring up Goldfish because I also need to start remembering the name of some of these other cards. So I, 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 what I need to do is just go to my conversation with Costa. And I just go back because I send him pictures of every single deck that I draft. Um, but the three mana red one three within list that when it dies you deal damage equal to its power. Uh, Balduvian Berserker. Card, yes, that dude instantly became one of my favorite cards in the set. I was like, this feels really good.
1: It was also um, in Daniel's
0: Seal Pool against me, and it's, it's very threatening. Like, I basically had
1: one turn, because I was at 6 health, and he could get it to 7 power. And I was like, I had one turn to gain life, or I literally could not beat it. And <laughs> I drew my 7-7 seven, seven, that gained 5, and then I won the game after that. But yeah, it's definitely a very scary card. It's also super high variance, where if they kill all your other creatures, it's just absolutely horrible for a 3-mana 1-3.
0: It is interesting though that it can do it to any target because I had a point where like my opponent that I attacked with it, it and I got, became like a four three, and it was just like all right if they don't block it they're dead if they do block it because they would have to trade with it they are dead, so that's like kind of a nice way of like getting through that last bit of damage.
1: Yeah, the two most surprising any target uh, spells for me have both been that and the um the Cavalier the the flying 2 with flash the that card has been. Mm-hmm so good because you know i i found that it's not hard to get into board stalls in this format at which point like either they attack you and you dome them for 10 or you attack them and dome them for 10 and it just always ends the game
0: next up i had a, a jeskai deck oh that the other that white red deck went five and three by the way then i had a Jesguy deck that i was just like it was basically i got like a couple of gin of the fountains a frost strider i first picked a Danatha. it's got some talos lookouts and i was just got because there was a lighting strike and a gitu amplifier in the deck and it's just like it was kind of like spells it was like it was okay it went three three uh the next one though was uh, blue green splashing white for king darien i think i've so I'm I'm getting gems from that card now because I've drafted so many. But this is a first pick Silverback Elder, and I got to pop off once, and it felt so. I literally had twelve lands on like turn six, just because like I kept casting creatures, getting lands, cast creatures, get lands, cast creatures, get lands. And there's like, at one point it was just hilarious. Right, I think I had like thirteen or fourteen lands in play, and my opponent had four.
1: Yeah, I I started to draft with one of those, and I went. Oh, 03 because I saw actual zero green cards and I had to end up playing like blue white or something. I had literally no way to put the silver back in my deck. There was just no fixing, and I was just like, it was very frustrating. But it's the nature of the game.
0: Yeah, that deck went three and three. Um, the next one was the um, was a red black and green deck where I, I think I first picked a Lagomos Hand of Hatred, which is the uncommon. We should talk about how. I think all the uncommon legends in this set, the multicolored ones, are sick. Like, this one's a three mana 1 3 that makes a 2 1 every turn, but then you have to sack it. But there's all these shenanigans you can do with that, and it has haste. Yeah, it's got um, you got bone splitters. If
1: they ever trade with like two things and you can sack a thing, then you get to, you know, uh, demonic tutor. I think the card's great. It may not be one of the, the better decks, but you play it on turn three, and it's always very threatening.
0: Uh, not to. Uh, I think host will be five. Memphis. He sent me a picture where he had that going with braids, and he just kept sacking the token, the to braids. Oh yeah, that's sweet. Um, but that, that deck also had a Rada, which pumps based on your domain, and then Garna, which is like that card is just freaking absurd. Although I didn't tell the story, I actually punted because I thought Garna would do the ping damage no matter what, and just if it was attacking, you have to draw a card. But it does say otherwise, so I should have realized that that's not how it worked. But I, I alpha strike because I figured it's like oh even if they block my and my creatures die, the last couple points damage will trigger of Garna and I'll win. That's not how it worked. I just drew cards and then died on the backswing. Um, so yeah, that deck was pretty good. And then was the aforementioned uh, Wuberg deck, which I was like I was texting Costa. I was like oh I hope this gets the three wins, gets breaks even. That deck went seven two. I was very proud of myself. Um, uh, then I had another three, three deck, which is like this blue black, um, deck, which almost I, I have to say, like, it's a card that you talked about pre-release. Well, as like you're trying to find your last card to add to the deck and you're like, oh, this card will help me find my fun shenanigans. And that's Voda C scavenger the three mana, three, two in blue for two in blue that allows you to like, look at the top, uh, X cards of your deck where X is your domain and then, um, uh, pick one to leave on top. And then uh, put the rest on the bottom, or you can pick to put them all on the bottom if you want. Yeah, that card's actually really good at smoothing out your draws, and it typically trades up.
1: Yeah, it's like a one. It's a one cost. It's like the common version of Nail, right? The green blue one that like when you have domain, you get to draw the card. Otherwise, you get to do it every turn when it hits. But I mean, I, I was specifically playing it because I knew my game plan revolved around that Vesuvian Diplomacy, and I was like, well, I just need to find it, and the best way to find it is to dig five deep, you know, and look for put a card on top.
0: In this deck, I also ran a Vanquisher's axe because I had a Pixie Illusionist and a Battlefly Swarm. Just like getting a three-power flyer in there, get some damage in. This deck, I was like, this is the deck I had two Talos Lookouts and Sanger Connoisseur, Frostfist Rider, and a Talarian Terror rounding out the deck. And I was just like, as Hex Coast, I was like, all right, I'm ready for my first like O three or one three. Deck broke even, went three three. And I was like, okay, it's just because like turn out if you still curve out and have like flying stuff and just get chip damage in and can eventually close out the game, you can win a few games. And then the last one um, deck I made is a was a uh, white black deck, splashing green for King Darien, because I just keep playing that card for some reason. It's pretty good. Um, and that deck was actually really strong. Argivian Phalanx, the white mana uh, the white creature that gets cheaper based on the number of creatures you control. Uh, part of that uh, theme of deck uh, that felt really good. Defiler of Faith was actually the first pick in this draft, so I started scooping up all the Citizens Arrests and Prayer Bindings. I even got a Leyline Binding in it, in here, and I was just like, "Oh, this is really good." And then, uh, what was? And then that goes really well with King Darian pumping the the rest of your team. It feels very good. And that was the last deck that I drafted, and that deck went five and three. Yes. So, so I had um, a five-win deck that was
1: red-white. It had three copies of the Kill and Strike team. Unfortunately, it did not find any of the um, plus two, plus one, the heroic charge of the set. So I didn't, I didn't have a ton of um, ways to pump my team enough to get enough damage in. So it kind of faltered against other bigger control decks. And then uh, my two winning decks were the wall deck that I played earlier, and then that I had mentioned, and then a. Um, other than that sealed deck, the free one, which had similar combos to what you were talking about with Costa's deck, where I had both a Defiler of Flesh and a uh, Braids, and essentially I was just playing all the white token makers and a bunch of black one-mana permanents. I had three Battlefly Swarms and um, stuff like that, you know, just cheap cheap creatures that I could force in early damage and force my opponents to to lose out, Um the other deck that I drafted that that did well that got to six wins was a red blue deck that was really aggressive that had two phoenix chicks and um, like three lightning strikes and uh, I'm trying to remember what the the finisher was um, I don't remember Shiva Devastator. No, no, it wasn't anything exciting. It was all mostly commons and uncommons. You know, fires of victories. I I was actually a little unimpressed when I played G2 Amplifier in the first red-blue deck I made, but that might have just been me, you know, not understanding how to evaluate the cards. Um, Molten Monstrosity was good. Um, I have opened multiple Temporal Firestorms and put them into my decks, and... Each one of those decks always went like 0-3, because Temporal Firestorm is not in a good place for this format. That's the 5-mana deal 5 damage to all creatures, and you can pay 2 additional, either 1 white or 1 blue, to phase your creatures out. But red just really doesn't want to be controlling in this format. You really want to be aggressive, so like, 7-mana to save 1 creature and wipe a board doesn't do a lot, especially when your opponent's... Uh, domain spells are four sixes you know and seven sevens and they they're out of the range of the uh, the five damage so I, i've actually been really unimpressed with that card i think it's been quite bad for me um i would avoid taking that in draft from the from this point forward but otherwise as long as you know that red's aggressive I, i'm i've been pretty happy with it and list cards also have been great i, w- I agree with you that those have been really good
0: well all right uh, I just did the quick math on there and threw seven drafts on 29 and 20 for a solid 69% win rate. <laughs> very nice. Um, But cool. Yeah, I'm having fun with the format. It's really enjoyable. It's, a, it's a, I feel like it's very refreshing after Nuka Pena got stale really fast. Like I, at this point, Nuka Pena is already kind of over it. Yeah, I, but I will I'm say having fun.
1: it's been good in that there's a good diversity of decks. I am worried in the long term that maybe like Wingmate Chaplain might be too oppressive or that um, five color decks are a little kind of like, it's kind of too often. I mean, when I see people doing the two-color decks, like I was watching uh, Caleb Durbal draft last night, he was not having a good... Like, well, he was having fun, but he wasn't doing well, and I just don't think you should... I think it's almost too free with the fixing, but at the same point, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think it should be. I think it's kind of fun when you can push people into three colors. I just think that if the power level of the three-color decks were more balanced instead of all being green-focused, like, sort of like my cube, right? where I, like, I seed in the um, the tricolor lands. And so you can play any color combinations, and splashing can give you rewards, but playing red-white is just as strong as playing green-blue. Whereas in this, when you're playing three-color, you're almost always touching green, and so it's a little more samey, and that makes it a little bit more boring. But at the same time, it's also not cubes. So. I
0: feel like, yeah, most of the time it's green, but I feel like there's still enough of the... I find most most of the time the three colors are usually like base two color and then they're just splashing for kickers. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm a little greedier. We all we all
1: agree that we all know that we all say all right. that. So mine are always like, uh, two color with like th- three or four cards in the third color. I'll first and maybe pick even this. splashing kicker for a fourth color.
0: Yeah, I would do that too. But you are the man who would first pick a common dual land, it's just like let's get our fixing early um actually i think both in my cube and in this format
1: i think you should know what colors you want because especially there's going to be a um a legend in every pack and all the legends are either uh two pips or three pips that are colored i think you should be taking those first and then saying i'm going to take the duels that support that i think that's actually much more important i don't want to take a duel without knowing whether or not i want it in my deck
0: that's true too uh, I feel like more often than not, you want the duels even if like there's an off color in there, uh, just like for like the incidental domain. Like if you're not in domain, but you have the the. All right, I need to bring it back up. I'm not good with the card names yet. The five mana four four reach that deals damage. Marius Outrider. Yeah. Uh, if you if you have like that, you're not doing domain things, but it just helps that card become better and it's already good. I'm like sure, but I also agree with you that you want I, you want to pick the dual dual color ones. Well, most of them, like. The Rakdos ones, Garna, and Lagamoth. Those are really good. Kostas has been having a lot of success with that blue-green flyer dude that he talked about last week. is really good. The nail the Aeronaut is the blue-green one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then also we have... Um, did I really put it to the back of my deck, really? Uh, I had it in my pre-release deck. Where'd it go? The blue-white flyers that makes bird or soldiers when you do instant sorceries uh tura kennerud has has the colon above the U. yeah uh sky knight uh that card's been pretty good uh the black uh the how's the green black nerd um either way um the uncommons just seem like really strong like in almost in a vacuum so I was like, it kind of, it's like, all right, I don't have to be in this deck to actually get advantage of this card. And so I was like, I'll just go ahead and scoop this up because it's a really good card.
1: Yeah. So I think in terms of pick order, it should be like legends that give you direction and give you card advantage after that, the lands that support them. I totally agree that, yeah, taking off color lands, like if you for playing domain cards is totally great, but I would take the cards that want those domain cards first. And then I yes. would take
0: the lands. But if I'm in a situation where it's like I'm looking at a dual land right now and there's just like a bunch of cards that honestly they seem like that might be like 19 to 23rd card, I'm just going to scoop up the land just because I feel like I'd be able to replace that. But the the value I might be able to get off this land is greater than the value I might be able to get off this like medium-ish card.
1: Yeah, and I think I might be one or two picks behind you in terms of where like let's say... You know, you've got a Mary's Outrider and the, the Nishoba, the star three that. So those touching. Oh, that card's red. great. If I see a blue white land versus any other red or green card, I might take the red or green card. I may not be as into the duels that are double off color. Right. But if they're as long as they're mm-hmm. always touching one of the colors that you want to be, I'm more into those.
0: I can agree with that. Um, Jua, I told you before we start recording that I have a new favorite card in the set before we get out of here do you want to take a guess as to what it is it's too many cards go ahead just tell me all right that is um, basic planes number 264 out of 281 by johan Voss mm-hmm. that art is so good uh, it's it was it's used as one of the big uh, like if you uh, uh, boot up arena and has like download the update or whatever it's that's the art they use for that screen for this set. It's, um, oh, yeah, the, one with the
1: the gate in the background.
0: Yeah. And then homies like walking towards it. You got a bunch of like white and pink flowers. Yeah. The, um, the basics are nice. So I mean,
1: I can't help but say I would much rather always see a stained glass in my pack, but
0: oh, yeah. But I just think like if I had to use this, like these, like, because I always defer to like full art lands myself. Uh, and I think the Dominaria full arts would be the, my uh, draft lands. If I could get enough of them. But like if I had to pick between those like this, like really basic planes, uh, like whenever I'm playing on arena, if I don't want to like grab it, because like you don't really get the value of the full arts when you're playing on arena, because all your lanes basically turn into full arts whenever you play them. The art on this one is so good. And it's like, literally, I have one that I just I'm leaving on my desk just because I like looking at it. It's So pretty. Yes, yeah, my new favorite card.
1: I used to get tokens uh, shipped to me from Johannes Voss cuz he's in Germany and he has a program where you can have, you know, you subscribe to the Patreon and he sends you tokens every month, but the uh, tokens are usually in black and white. And then like once a month he makes he, he does a um a, a metal token that's uh colored and they're like Miyazaki. They're very cute, they're very fun, but unfortunately they're a little um smaller in dimension and much thicker. So you can't actually they're I I don't find them as acceptable tokens, so I ended I stopped on my Patreon, but I have a bunch of tokens for him. I it's a good artist. I like I like what he does or she does. Johannes was? I cannot remember. I'm sorry. That's all that's a that's a difficulty. I cannot remember the gender of the of the artist.
0: Either way, there are now a uh artist of preference on this podcast. But all right. Uh anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Are you going to be uh there tomorrow? i sure will because i'll probably like go for I a couple you drafts
1: at the um you, I, I see you at the pre-releases but I, you're not often at the drafts
0: uh i'll do a couple drafts and then i typically bow out for a little bit okay um i i, I only gave capenna like no i did a couple for capenna uh we had back-to-back turnovers in uh, this nfl football game cool um but yeah, so I bet out pretty quickly at Kupenna. Uh I was going to come for more of the Baldur's Gate, but I just didn't really like it at all.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that's fair. That makes sense.
0: I would have showed up for more double masters if Watsy would get off their ass and print more of it. I mean, but uh, that's the
1: feedback yeah. I left them with their, you know, they always ask for feedback after every set. And it's like, I want to play this set. If you just print more of it, like I would pay you money more. Like <laughs> you just need to print would- more and I'll make you more money.
0: I forget who I was talking to at the pre-release event, but they were like, "Yeah, Duel Masters fun." I mean, it was expensive, but I don't know why we stopped doing it. And I, I explained to them, "There's been like printed demand and limited print uh, set runs." Uh, and they're like, "Dang, that seems silly." And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> but all right, I'll be seeing you tomorrow, Chris." Um, but- before we head out, actually, I had one
1: card I wanted to mention um, for people to pick up when they draft in store. Uh, Plaza of Heroes. Uh, This card is $8 for the regular version. Um, It's totally playable in Commander, uh, you know, because it casts your Commander and it protects it. And I don't think most normal drafters will take it unless they know it's $8. So it's sort of like, um, and I do also think it can go up in price. I I know, I'm no Costa. I don't know for certain, but I, I feel like it's a card that when people are drafting to win, they'll pass it. And then you can just take it and it'll go up in price. Sort of like how, um, what was that four mana enchantment from the Ravnica block? That was $5
0: smothering tithe? Yeah. I
1: feel like it's the smothering tide of the set. People are a little bit more onto it because it's already at $8, but I I feel like it's a, it's a safe pickup in your local drafts.
0: I was about to add it to Costa's spreadsheet, but he doesn't give us access to that one. Um, But yeah, good call. Good call. All right. That will do it for this episode of mtg untapped what did you think about what we talked about this week what are your initial impressions of dominar united let us know on twitter at mtg untapped pod or at facebook mt untapped podcast if you have any ideas for stuff you would like us to talk about shoot us an email at Mailbag at gmail.com and if you would please subscribe to the podcast rate and leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast we would very much appreciate it and also shout out to alpha strike gaming in san marcus and forceville gaming in bastrop as well as our home store juniors comics and cars located in south Austin, slaughter man Near the H-E-B. Yes, that will do it. Chris, it's been fun. We will talk to you all next week. Later. Bye-bye.